you've heard it before, but it's, uh, it's got the message of the parable that we're going to be studying this morning about discipleship. So let our lips and lives express the holy gospel we profess. So let our works and virtues shine to prove the doctrine all divine. Thus shall we best proclaim abroad the honors of our Savior God, while his salvation reigns within and grace subdues the power of sin. Now then, keep that in mind. Beginning today a series of sermons which will be on discipleship. Sometimes in the King James translation of the Bible, these are called kingdom parables. But actually, it's the kingly reign over each one of us that's going to be involved in it, too. And so for that reason, uh, next Sunday will be Matthew 21 through 16, which will have to do with the workers in the vineyard. But today, this is a very short parable, and it's when Jesus has come into Jerusalem after the triumphal entry, uh, when he comes in like a king, uh, parading into the city. And then uh, he has gone into the temple and has overturned the tables of the money changers and has cleansed the temple and uh, uh, now then look at verse 18 now in the morning when he returned to the city he became hungry and seeing a lone fig tree by the road he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only and he said uh, to it no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you and at once the fig tree withered and seeing this the disciples marveled saying how did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, it shall happen. And everything you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. And when he had come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you one thing too, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source? from heaven or from men. And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for they all hold John to be a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. He also said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and he said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered and said, I will, sir. And he did not go. And he came to the second and said the same thing. But he answered and said, I will not. Yet he afterward regretted it and went. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the latter. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that the tax gatherers and the harlots will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. 
But the tax gatherers and harlots did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. Amen. May God help us to understand the truth from this part of his word that he wants applied in our lives. <laughs> I want to express appreciation to Mary Horner for singing so beautifully a while ago and to our choir for the great contribution that they've made and also to say on behalf of Charles Massey, our choir director, that he would be happy for you to call the church office if you're interested in our choir. Now then, I have said that we were going to begin studying today some discipleship parables. And we have started uh, with this parable which is given in Matthew chapter 21. I already have sketched for you a little bit of the background of this uh, parable. You will find that the parables of Jesus sometimes contain an element of surprise. Uh, you will find that he sometimes leaves you sort of hanging in the air. Uh, so that he wants you to uh, fill in the answer. And this parable, which I've been reading and studying for the last several weeks, and have looked at a great many people, uh, what they have written and said about it, but have been greatly helped by Dr. Earl Palmer, who is uh, on the board of Princeton Seminary and the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Berkeley, California, and uh, a professor at Regent College sometimes, and at a new college out on the West Coast. Uh, and many others who have been helpful. Uh, but now let's, let's see what he's trying to teach us from what we've got here. Uh, you remember there was a, a fig tree, and a fig tree, by the way, was a symbol of the nation of Israel. A fig tree that was a braggart fig tree that had a display, a profuse display of leaves, but on which there were no figs. Jesus expected some of the first little figs uh, to be there, and they were not. And so in a parabolic action, the fig tree is withered away. He is teaching uh, something important for the nation of Israel to learn because they have been the recipient of all of the law that was given at Mount Sinai, of the benefits of all that the prophets have taught. And now God in his last great uh, powerful demonstration of mercy and love toward them has sent his own son in their midst to be the Messiah. And they are rejecting him. And so Jesus is teaching uh, that we uh, are to produce fruit, not just to hear words, but to produce fruit in our lives. And so he had come into the house of prayer, which he calls my house, uh, making himself equal with deity, claiming his own godship. And there he has seen it commercialized, a venture in money. The high priest Caiaphas and his sons uh, had a lucrative trade in exchanging money and selling sacrifices that were used in the temple. And Jesus uh, turns these money changers' tables over and drives them, you remember, with a scourge uh, a whip which he has made and platted out of the temple. Must have been quite a commotion that was created there. Well, this uh, caused a furor to take place. And so they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Now that gives you a little idea about what things he was doing. And so he replies with a question. 
He says, the baptism of John. What was its source? From heaven or from men? And he puts them on the horns of a dilemma. If they answer that uh, uh, John came from heaven and they were greatly interested in the ministry of John the Baptist, then Jesus will say, then why didn't you believe John? John testified of me. Why didn't you believe him? And so they couldn't answer that way. And then if they said of men, they feared the people because the people counted John to be a prophet. Now this causes us to have to be able to look at something of John's ministry in order to know uh, what Jesus is trying to, to cause us to understand here. Uh, John came. Now listen. He therefore began saying to the multitudes who were going out to be baptized by him, that is John the Baptist, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bring forth fruits in keeping with your repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And also the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. And every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the multitudes were questioning with him, saying, Then what shall we do? You've got to do something. What shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, And if you think John the Baptist didn't have a social message to his gospel, then you don't even know the Bible. This is what he said, Let the man who has two coats share with the one who has none. Let him who has food to do, food do likewise. And some of the tax gatherers, these were the people, the hated renegades who had sold out to the Romans, who were thoroughly despised by everyone, and especially the religious leaders. And yet, some tax gatherers also came and were baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? Now look, it. he tells these people who get baptized to do something. He said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to do. People ought to know it. When you make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, they ought to know it because you ought to be more honest. You ought to be more careful with what you say and do. And they ought to see fruits of it in your life to back it up. Back in the olden days, out in the country where I live, they used to have brush arbor meetings. And people would come forward and get saved in revival meetings. But you know, there was one thing about those farmers. They knew each other, and it was hard to fool them. And if a man came forward and got converted, people expected him to live a different life. And they would just flatly refuse to come if they didn't intend to live a different life. But boy, when they got religion, you knew it. Because they changed their way of living. Nowadays, everybody joins the church, and you don't know any difference. And they don't know any difference either. And that's a terrible thing. Uh, so here John the Baptist says, collect no more than what uh, you have been ordered to do. And some soldiers were questioning. Now soldiers have authority. They've got swords. And they've got authority. And so he says to these soldiers, 
who have come forward to get converted, this motley-looking crowd, tax collectors who were crooks, and he tells them to reform their ways. Soldiers come, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said, do not take any money from anyone by force. Don't use your sword to go around and get a little protection money. Or accuse anyone falsely. And be content with your wages. The labor unions hated him for saying this. Now, now, while the people were in a state of expectation and were all wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he might be the Christ, uh, John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now that's something of the background. And the religious leaders did not listen to these preachings of John the Baptist and change. They listened all right. They took note of it. They sent a commission from the General Assembly out there to listen to John and come back and make a committee report on what they'd heard. They had a lot of hearings about it. But now then Jesus is here in the temple. He has demonstrated that he is like a prophet that he is like a priest and that he is like a king. And so he tells this story about two sons. I love this story. <laughs> Listen to this story. What do you think, said Jesus? Very homely story. What do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will, sir and did not go. Son number one. He is very pleasant at breakfast. He says, his father says, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he says, oh, father, I'm so glad you suggested that I go and work in the vineyard. That's exactly what I was thinking about in my quiet time this morning when I was reading my Bible. That, I, oh, mother, put another egg on uh, for breakfast. I need strength to go out and face the elements because I'm working for the family today in the vineyard and on and on and on and on. He's getting all the mileage out of this. But then he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything. And there are people like that. That's why I made us sing that hymn a while ago. So let our lips and lives express the holy gospel we profess. The Negro preacher put it very succinctly, does your walk match your talk? The gospel has got to believe inside and the gospel has got to behave inside. I've never seen so many born-again president, presidential candidates in my life. Uh, uh, I've never seen so many people that are getting born again. But you wonder, now what's the fruit going to be? What's the fruit of all this? Uh, the words won't do it. Grand religious professions won't do it. That's like those leaves, 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 leaves. Fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Men said, Jesus said, men do not gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles. And he is comparing in an unfavorable way these religious leaders with that first son with that first son who is very decorous 
at church who makes beautiful prayers in King James English and who has everyone awed by all that he says and who is so proper and yet he does not do the works of his Father in heaven. There is no repentance inside. Now he is saying, I think, you know, part of this, I think the, the Sadducees, there were two groups. You had the Sadducees who were the bureaucrats who were employed by the church and by uh, the religious authorities, and they were kind of slippery. They agreed with everything in an oily, superficial way as long as it didn't ruffle their paycheck. Uh, but then there were the, the, the Pharisees. He was always getting in an argument with them. And I think the Pharisee is really comparable to the second son because he came to the second and said the same thing and he answered and said, I will not. In other words, he's a little more diplomatic. <laughs> can you imagine this happening at breakfast? I can for some reason. You go in uh, at breakfast and uh, uh, the mother is fixing breakfast, the hot cakes and the eggs and the bacon and the toast and the coffee and the jelly and all that business and the orange juice. And, and, and uh, daddy comes in and he says uh, to the first son, son, go work in the vineyard today. Yes, father. And the emphatic I is there. I go, sir. Very polite. Very agreeable. Can't put him down for that. He's not disagreeable. He's not negative. But he doesn't do anything. And the second son, he says to him, will you go and work in the vineyard today? And he says, I'm not going out in your silly vineyard. All you do is ask me to go work in the vineyard. I'm not going to go. And the mother is over there crying and, and, and everybody's got indigestion and the whole thing is ruined. And, and uh, the son stomps out of the house. All you expect me to do is work, 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 work. And then the father says, what's happening to this family? We're all going to the poorhouse. Nobody's going to do, <laughs> he's not going to work. But I've got that other son who's so good and he does what I tell him to do. But he's not going to do it. And the one who refused, he goes out to go with his buddies and do whatever he wants to do that day. And then he passes by the vineyard and looks over the wall, and there they are out there working. And he thinks, I didn't do the old man right. I'm going to have to go back, tell him I'm sorry, and go do my part. And so he goes back, tells his father he's sorry, and then goes out in the vineyard in the heat of the day and works. And Jesus puts the question to them. Now, which of the two did the will of his father? And even these people had to say the second one. The second one did the will of his father. Now then Jesus goes back to John the Baptist and said, Now listen, John the Baptist came preaching repentance. And do you know what happened? Those publicans, those tax gatherers that you hate so much, they repented. They repented. I've got Matthew in my bunch right now. They repented. Zacchaeus has repented. They repented. But you didn't think you need any repentance. And there were harlots, prostitutes, terribly immoral people. 
Mary Magdalene. A moment ago when Mary Horner sang that beautiful hymn, I come to the garden alone. And Mary, by the way, works for InterVarsity in Atlanta. Uh, I was sitting back here looking at the 20th chapter of John. I'll never forget going to seminary. That's a very disillusioning experience. Uh, uh, I got into a hymnody class, and the guy said, tear this hymn out of the hymn book. It's too smaltzy or something. Uh, it's too sentimental or sensual. I forgot what it was, but you weren't supposed to use it. For the first 10 years, I blasted my ministry out of the tub by not using hymns that I ought to use. And uh, uh, then I got to reading about this hymn. You know how that hymn was written? That hymn was written in honor of Mary Magdalene, out of whom were cast seven devils. Seven. I expect she was pretty well known. And out of her were cast seven devils. One of them would be a lot of trouble. And I don't know how you figure out seven. But Jesus cast seven devils out of Mary Magdalene. And she is the first witness to the resurrection. She comes to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice she heard Mary in her weeping. And she turns and falls at his feet, Rabboni, my dear rabbi, my dear teacher. The voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God is calling. No wonder she never forgot that. No wonder that song, even though it's sentimental, speaks to our hearts. And you can trace through the 20th chapter of John and see that. And that's what Jesus is saying here, these harlots will get into the kingdom of heaven before you PhDs in theology. These crooked tax collectors because though they struggled with it at first and said no, later on, later on, they gave themselves over to the Lord. Now what am I saying here? A struggle. Don't give up on people. That's what I want to say. Now listen to me very carefully. If you don't get anything out of this but this this morning. Don't give up on people. I have written up here at the top of my... Bible, it is better to finally believe what at first you cannot say than to say at first what you will never believe. Now remember that. C.S. Lewis was converted late in life. The brilliant scholar at Oxford and Cambridge was converted late in life from a total atheist he was converted to faith in Jesus Christ and knelt and submitted to the lordship of Christ and was a great defender of the faith. Lewis said an important thing. He said, the Christian faith works well on your second thoughts. Now, what does that mean? That there are people like this boy who says, no, I'm not going to work in your vineyard. And then he goes off and thinks about it. And then he realizes that he's done wrong. And he goes back. His second thoughts lead to his conversion. 
Now that's an important thing to remember. The Christian faith will stand the scrutiny of your second thoughts. And if you are one of those people who a long time ago said, well, I, I started off one time and then I gave up, and it's no use about me, wait a minute. Think about it again. Think about it today. That's why you're in Montreat and that's why I'm preaching on this subject. If you really think about it, and think about it with all your heart and really mean business with God, he'll mean business with you and you'll go out of here a brand new person in Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit will change you. But if you're one of those comfortable religionists who just say, oh, I, I've heard all that, then what can happen? What can happen? Jesus says, the one who did the will of his Father in heaven. The one who does the will is the one who is converted here. Over in Edinburgh when I was a student, uh, I used to go to Charlotte Chapel, a splendid church where they always had a good preacher who had biblical messages that were just moving to me. And that church had a great minister at one time who was marvelous in dealing with people about matters that concerned their soul. And there was a lady who came up to him after the service one time and she said, I have heard you and heard you and heard you. And I do want Jesus Christ to be Lord of my life. But then I am a concert pianist and I'm on the stage and I'm afraid that if I go the full route of total discipleship, it will interfere with my career. Can I be a Christian this way? And so he took a pen and he wrote, Not so, Lord. And he told about Peter. And he told how three times in Peter's life he had said, Not so, Lord. And Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple and say, not so, Lord. That's a contradiction in terms. So he said, you cannot say, not so, to any area of your life. And he handed her the card, and she sat there and looked at it for a few moments. Then she took it and tore it in two, and she put aside the part that said, not so. And she kept the side that said, Lord. She wanted Jesus to be Lord of her life. The InterVarsity Christian Fellowship had its founding over at Cambridge University in England. And at Great St. Mary's Church there, where Dr. Billy Graham preached last winter in a tremendous series of meetings and where he'll be back in February. This is a picture of, of Cambridge and Great St. Mary's, one of the most famous churches in the world. A tiny little fellow by the name of Thomas Bilney, who looked like a little sparrow, who was a short, scholarly person, whose head was all full of the knowledge of various classical languages, but whose heart did not yet know Jesus. Cambridge was visited by Erasmus, the great scholar. He lectured at Oxford, then he came over and lectured at Cambridge, and then he had translated a new Latin translation of the uh, New Testament. 
And Thomas Bilney, who was called Little Bilney, decided that he would get every single book that uh, came from the pen of Erasmus. And so he got this new translation of the New Testament. And in reading it, he came upon those words of Jesus, uh, came upon those uh, words of Paul. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And Thomas Bilney said that it just seemed like light shone from those words and he gave his life to Christ as a little Cambridge scholar. There was a very eloquent, powerful preacher by the name of Hugh Latimer who was a bishop of the church and yet was not converted. And he came to preach in Great St. Mary's. And when he came down the pulpit stairs and passed little Latimer, a little Thomas Bilney who had listened to him, Thomas Bilney had prayed, Lord, I am only little Bilney. I will never be anything great for you, but I pray you give me the soul of Hugh Latimer and he will preach your gospel everywhere. And so he caught Latimer's robe and he said, I pray thee, Father, hear my confession. And so they went into the vestry of great St. Mary's and Thomas Bilney poured out his soul of how the scripture had gripped him and how he had been converted. And then he asked Hugh Latimer if he had ever really known the personal lordship of Christ in his life. And Hugh Latimer said that his soul was converted that day by one whose confessions he had gone to hear, who witnessed to him about faith in Christ. And it was that same Hugh Latimer who was later burned at the stake and who said those famous words with, to Master Ridley at Oxford when they were burned. We shall today light such a torch in England as shall never, never be extinguished. Well, that's because they obeyed the works of God. Whether you're starting out young in life or whether you're looking back over a long time in life, the important thing is that Jesus be Lord of your life. He said to as many as would receive him, he would in no wise cast out. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And that means he takes you where you are. When you give as much of yourself as you know how to give, to as much of him as you understand. And if you've been like either of these brothers, let me say this, there's a third brother in the shadows here. And that's Jesus himself, our elder brother. He was respectful and did the will of his father. And when we study about the laborers in the vineyard, we'll read about those who labored all day long. He was the ideal brother. And that's what he wants. He wants the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he wants you and me, young and old, to be sure that we have given our lives completely over to his lordship. Let us bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you know the minds and hearts of all of us here. The things that we have thought about are very big things. 
And yet there's only one person that can give an honest answer, and that's each one of us inside our own spirits as to whether or not Jesus is Lord. Oh, please help us to tear the card in two and throw the not-so part away. Help us to know that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And even if we consider ourselves to be the chiefest of hypocrites and the chiefest of sinners, that he loves us and that he'll take us back. He'll take us back and forgive us and make things like they ought to be. And the Holy Spirit will begin his own work in our heart to produce the fruits that will bring honor to him. And so we pray that the gospel might make sense to our second thoughts. That while we struggle with it, we'll know the wonderful way you're winning us, all of us, our total selves, over to you. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful surprises that will come to us, that we'll be surprised by joy, that you will make us glad in heart, and that you will use us every day in a way that's more wonderful than we can possibly think of right now. So do your great work and do it now. In Jesus' name, amen.